All right, good evening, church. If you will uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we will be reading at the start of verse 11 down to 16. And if you are able, please rise for the public reading of Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 11, it reads, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in impurity. Impurity. Until I come, give your attention to the public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy and with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay attention to your life and your teaching. Preserve in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's go to our Lord God in prayer once again. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We are thankful, Lord, for your servant, Paul, and, and also your servant, Timothy, Lord. Lord, I just ask you, Father, as we have entered your house, Lord, and I am reminded by the last song that we're here to take refuge in your name, in your word, in your gospel truth. I just ask you, Father, that the things that we learned here tonight, Lord, I just pray, Father, that we will commit to them. That we will ponder these things. And that also that we will teach them to our co-workers, to our children, or to those that you present the opportunity to teach them. I just ask you, Father, that these words will not depart from our hearts, Lord, but the words that come from your word will penetrate our hearts and forever remain there. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, Lord, and we just ask you, Father, that your Holy Spirit will carry us through. May your name be glorified and may your name be proclaimed. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, and all of God's people say, Amen. So the central idea of this passage is that all pastors must have three core values, honor, courage, and commitment. You see, when Timothy arrived at Ephesus, Timothy had no honor among the people because of his age. In most cultures, if a man did not have age, he will earn no respect. For young Timothy, there was a loss of courage. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18, he said, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them that you may fight the good fight. The recalling. If you ever read through the first, first letter, well, actually through this letter, and through the second letter of Timothy, 
you will begin to notice a theme that Paul is always doing. He's always reminding Timothy. He's always encouraged Timothy. Because he understands that Timothy is undergoing a very difficult task. Paul encouraged Timothy to fight the good fight. Timothy had to continue to fight the good fight for the sake of the gospel. He had to fight to restore godly Christian living and bring back the bring back to order church government. Timothy was charged by Paul to do these things. But this time, it is without the presence of Paul. With no honor and his courage at loss combined, began to erode his commitment to serve in the ministry. I'm sure Timothy's probably asking himself several questions in this difficult situation and hand, trying to handling these difficult tasks. Why am I even doing this? What's the point? I wish Paul were here. He will know what to do. Maybe I was never meant to serve as a pastor. Timothy is a timid man and filled with uncertainty. The Apostle Paul knew Timothy was falling apart here. You see, church, without the core values of honor, courage, and commitment, it would be impossible for Timothy to get the church back on track. So the Apostle Paul wrote in verses 11 through 16 for Timothy to gain honor from his congregation, to restore his courage so he can continue to fight the good fight, and to remain committed to God's calling. And let me just add this, pastors, do you know that you will face tough times when it comes to ministry? Those who are inspiring to become pastors, you will go through tough times. And this is exactly where Timothy is experiencing a tough time. So with that said, let's go to verse 11, and let's digest it. In verse 11, Paul says, command and teach these things. Timothy was given two imperatives. These two verbs stress teaching and exhortation. The word command means to declare, command, or charge. It implies orders given by someone in authority. And here Timothy is to command what Paul has communicated. So, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, it reads, As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. Paul commanded Timothy to declare. He is called to command or to charge certain people to cease their false teachings. Paul does not ask Timothy to share or make suggestions. You see, there is an inherent authority that comes with being a pastor. Timothy, as a pastor, was called to command the truth of God. And if he is to accomplish that command, Timothy must teach it. He must teach it. The word teach refers to teaching the truth behind those commands. It is the idea of passing on truth. 
An example of that can be found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. For it reads, They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. To prevent false teachings, Timothy must command and teach these things of God. In verse 4, Timothy is to command and teach what God considers good. What God considers good. In verse 11, Paul used the phrase these things to draw Timothy's attention, attention to Paul's teachings, starting from chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, and more. Timothy is to declare the truths of the gospel and to teach what should be expressed as an exhortation and what may be taught as instructions for the church. Please listen to this, church. Everything God commanded Timothy to be, he was, command, he was to command others to be. For example, Shepherd leaders must command the way Jesus commanded in Mark chapter 1, verse 5. For Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus commanded everyone to repent and believe. And in the same way, shepherd leaders, too, must command everyone to repent and believe. A good shepherd leader teaches with authority. His preaching is marked by commanding the things of the scriptures, the, uh, commanding the things the scriptures command. Now, the point of these two verbs indicates that Timothy is to teach with a note of authority. God did not call Timothy to the pulpit to preach with speculations, opinions, and men's theories. Instead, Timothy is called by God to be courageous to proclaim God's word as a command. Whenever you have a man in the pulpit with uncertainty, with uncertainty, uncertainty preaching the word of God, then the authority of God will be absent. With the absence of authority, then there's no call to repentance. There's no call to believe. There's no call to love one another. No call for forgiveness. Having said that, Paul does not want Timothy to be timid and uncertain about God's word. There was no reason to think that Paul would use a timid man filled with uncertainty to be Christ's representative in the Asian churches. He needs Timothy to be a good shepherd that would warn people of error, teach with authority, and is a student of God's word. Command and teach these things. Moving to verse 12. Paul said, Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. It is here that Paul opens the first half of verse 12 with, Do not let anyone despise your youth. There, is no way to, to, to uh, excuse me. There is no way to determine Timothy's exact age, but he was younger than Paul and younger than many of the church leaders and members who were under his charge. 
The reason Paul made this statement is that some of the older Christians in the church at Ephesus appeared to look down on Timothy and refused to accept his teaching because he was young. The older Christians felt that Timothy was someone to be considered of no value because he was vulnerable to the errors of youth, which brought the often justified criticism of those older. And as a result of this harsh, this harsh treatment, I believe Timothy felt timid. He was reserved. And what I mean by reserved, he, he just didn't want, he, his heart wasn't in it. He didn't want to have to deal with certain people in the church because of the response that he would received and also know that people didn't respect him because of his age. I just want to pause here because I, I think this is important to hear, church. I think, or I should say mistakenly, we can view the youth as an afterthought. We can view them as not ready to contribute anything. We can view them as not mature enough to be ready to share anything, and we can easily dismiss them. We need to be careful that we do not view them through the lens of humanity. As Christians, we need to be careful not to overlook God's calling for our individual in the, in the church. It's not about if they're smart, if they're funny, if they're cool or if they dress well, or if they're popular. It's about their best representation of Christ in the Christian community. When someone young does step out, it is essential that we, as the adults in the church, are quick and generous with our encouragement. The Bible commands us that we are to encourage one another, but it's especially true when you have someone new to serving. In my own personal experience in my previous church, because uh, when I was, uh, when the elders laid their hands on me to be be, uh, a pastor at Community Bible Church, there were some people that felt that I was too young. And I have fallen victim to the criticism that took place within that church and it didn't feel good because one God has called me to the ministry two is that I have a love for the people of God and it does pierce your heart when all you can hear is criticism because there's a a lack of experience Now, getting back to uh, verse 12. Although the older believers resisted Timothy's teachings because he was young, Timothy was not to be intimidated by this. Instead, he was to let no one despise him for his youth. He was to, well, instead, he was to set an example in the Christian community. In verse 12, Paul listed five ways Timothy needed to set an example. The first is, is that Timothy must set the example in speech. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, it reads that the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. 
Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It is here that Paul urges Timothy that his speech should speak the truth and refute error. His speech should edify and equip. We know that Timothy was under pressure to get the church of Ephesus back on track. But I'm certain that he must have felt he must have been enticed to argue and lash out at the people attacking him. You know, I know there's a phrase, you know, you need to be careful not to keep poking the bear. And I believe that's the situation with Timothy. Timothy was the bear. And people are poking him. They want to see a reaction out of him. And they'll keep poking and poking and poking and poking. But Paul is telling Timothy, don't respond in a way that's not godly. You know, this example speaks volumes about how pastors conduct themselves on social media. There's a large number of pastors on social media whose speech is filled with abusive words, which is the exact opposite of what we just read here in verse 24, 2 Timothy. You see, all pastors' words must be gentle to everyone. That's what we learn in verse 24. It is said, gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient. But also, it says in verse 25, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Instructing his opponents with gentleness. There is nowhere that I see in 2 Timothy chapter 24 and 25 that Paul says that you must respond with abusive words. But yet we see this take place in social media. And these men are supposed to be the examples for God. Any pastor who violates this command needs to repent. It's as simple as that. They need to repent. You see, when a shepherd, letter, a shepherd leader uses abusive words for everyone to read and hear, then you are setting an example to God's children that it is okay to act in a worldly matter. But also, it brings a bad reputation to Jesus' name, to the non-believers. You see this? This guy's a pastor of this church and so-and-so, and this is what he says. And the funny thing is, he's not saying it to us who don't believe. He's saying it to those who do believe. And then the word spreads. It's just like, why would I ever want to put my faith in Christ? If this is how you guys act, if this is how you guys treat one another, if your mouth is full of hatred, if your mouth is, is, is nothing but consumed or, or better yet, your heart is consumed with just filling people with discouragement. I don't want anything to do with that. And this is where Paul is telling Timothy, you must set the example in speech. Although they keep poking you, don't respond in a way that is worldly. Respond in a way that is godly. Another way, uh, another way to set an example here is that Timothy must set an example in conduct. In conduct. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 27, it reads, Instead, I discipline my body to bring it 
under strict control so that after preaching to others that I myself will not be disqualified. It is here that Paul had a focus of exercising self-control aimed at keeping him at keeping him from being disqualified. Paul saw this as an important discipline for his own life. And so too Timothy must live must live appropriately to the truth that he had been preaching. So he will not find himself disqualified like Haemus and Alexander. They both lost their position in leadership. And let me just say this. Conduct does go beyond the scope of self-control. It also refers to how one carries, uh, carries on with his life. How, the pastor, how, how is the pastor with his money when it, when it comes to friendship, when it comes to behavior? Especially towards those of the opposite sex. Timothy must set the example in love. Paul uses this word to describe love for God and others. The Apostle Paul describes his, uh, uh, describes, let me just read this. In John chapter 15, verse 13, it reads that no greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. That verse sums up the fundamental nature of ministry as a self-sacrificing love. A good shepherd leader will offer his time and energy to the local church, dedicating his life to watching them and strengthening them and build, build them up in Christ. Another example that Paul presents is Timothy must set an example in faith. The word faith in this example does not refer to belief, but to an unwavering commitment. It is a virtue of loyalty. A pastor will not deviate from his course. His eyes are forever focused on Christ. He will not deviate from the course. He will not go to the left. He will not go to the right. His eyes are laser focused, just as a sailor, his eyes will be focused on that of the North Star. And then lastly, Timothy must set an example in purity. Here, purity refers specifically to self-restraint in a matter of sex. There's a quote from Derek Prime I want to read because I believe he really sums this up. Derek Prime says, Our behavior towards those of the opposite sex is to be above reproach and worthy of respect. Spiritual leadership constantly brings shepherds and teachers in contact with women in various situations. There is a natural pleasure and helpful and helpful stimulus through the interaction of the sexes in everyday life. This is a part of God's gift to us. But in a fallen world and with our fallen natures, there is plenty, there is plenty of scope for temptation and moral failure. Purity of life begins with the purity of the heart. And that is so true. And I think it's, I absolutely believe it speaks volumes in this day and age. Especially with technology. With apps that you can secretly have secret relationships outside of the marriage. Fornication. It's so easy to do that. 
And we know that there have been many pastors that have failed in this category, in purity. And it is here that Paul tells Timothy, you got to be pure. You got to be pure. So in summary, how could Timothy stop older Christians from thinking so negatively of him? Well, it's by living out Paul's examples. Timothy is to live a godly life in thought and deed before everyone. The single greatest tool of leadership is the power of a commendable life. A shepherd leader's life is, a, is, is his most powerful message to the local church and to the local community. I like what Al Mohler has to say in regards to this. Al Mohler says this. You cannot stop a person from thinking negatively about you, but you can remove any reason for the negativity. And that is exactly what Paul advised Timothy to do, to remove any reason of negativity. And you do that by living out the examples that Paul has prescribed here. And also another point that Paul makes to Timothy is that he is not to let others make his age the point of criticism. His gift validates his authority, not his age. And repeat that. His gift validates his authority, not his age. As uh, Pastor Steve had uh, given us uh, great news in concerning uh, uh, John Waggle. Waggle, I'm not sure if I said it right. I'm butchering his name. (laughs) Wag, what? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But I want you to let you know, I'm sure everyone else knows, he's he's 23 years old. He is new, he's going to be new to the ministry. He's going to be exposed to things that he has never been exposed to. I remember my mentor before I became a pastor of my previous church, he said, he's like, look, Thomas, I want you to understand something. He's like, you're going to see the ugly side of church. And that stuck in my head, that stuck in my heart. And I, and I prayed over that. You're going to see the ugly side of church. You're going to be exposed to all sorts of sins that you just don't see on Sunday morning. You just perhaps don't hear on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights. But it's mostly during the days when it happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, depending on, you know, if you have church service. But we don't know what goes on outside of that. And John is going to be exposed to that. And there's going to be situations where he's going to be like, uh, uh, well, So, John, here you go. Like, what are you going to do about this? You know, and he's going to have to think things through and he has to think things through biblically. But the great thing about having a plurship of elders is that he's not alone doing this. And so such is the case we see with Paul and Timothy. Although the Timothy is alone, alone in a sense, because he's not without Paul, because Timothy spent a great deal of his life company with Paul and Paul pretty much did all the work. And so Timothy was kind of stick, you know, kind of observing everything that Paul was doing. 
But I guarantee once a, a serious or difficult situation or a tough situation pops right in your face, you're going to be like, uh, 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 like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do. And that's going to be the case with, with John Wesley. He's going to make some mistakes. But the great thing about John, he's quick to find answers. He is quick to find answers. He doesn't sit there and be like, okay, well, Pastor C, if you're going to handle this, you're going to have. He's just like, hey, Pastor C, can we sit down and talk about this? Can I gain some wisdom? Can I gain some knowledge from this on how to approach this? And how should I do this in a godly way? And from that discipleship, from that mentorship, then John is going to be able to grow. And he's going to continue to grow and continue to grow because he's going to be surrounded by godly men, just as Timothy is is surrounded by the Apostle Paul, who is a godly man. So don't look down on his age. Remember that God has called him to this position. His gift validates his authority, not his age. Now, having made sure that there was nothing in Timothy's life that made uh, undermine his ministry, Timothy needs to get on with the work God has given him to do. And we see that in verses 13 and 14, for it reads, Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy and with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. The Bible is the material with which a good shepherd built his ministry. The phrase, until I come, shows Paul had hoped to come to Timothy quickly, but there might be a delay. But until he returns, he reminds Timothy to keep on doing these things while Paul is traveling here. Keep on doing these things. What are these things? One word, preaching, preaching. Paul lists three components when it comes to preaching, and I want to talk about each of those components. The first component of preaching is to give attention to public reading. Give attention to public reading. When it comes to public reading in verse 13, the term came from the synagogue, where a passage of the, from the Old Testament will be read aloud and then explained. It was a custom that went back to the days of Nehemiah. In fact, let me read it for you in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8. It reads that they read out the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. So we see that the people would assemble and the priests would read, read out the Old Testament and give the meaning so that the people understood the reading. This was the same activity as preaching, and teaching. For Timothy, the reading was done in the public worship service of the church. Every worship service in a synagogue was the reading of the reading and explanation of the Old Testament scripture, uh, Old Testament scripture. But also, um, let me just say this: that during Jesus' ministry on earth, Jesus taught the gospel message to his apostles, and the early church added the reading and explanation to the apostles' doctrines, which you can find in Acts chapter four, verses forty-two. For it reads, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to, the, and to prayer. As, the, as New Testament letters were written and circulated throughout the early years, they took their place in the public reading. 
The reading and explanation of God's word were essential to the worship service. And Timothy was commanded to continue this work by reading the scripture and anything that needed to be clarified would be explained so that the people understood. That is the first com- uh, component. The second component of preaching is exhortation. Exhortation. The word exhortation in verse 13 is defined as an address or communication emphatically urging someone to do something. For note takers, I'll repeat this. The word exhortation is defined as an address or communication emphatically urging someone to do something. All pastors are charged with challenging church members to apply the truths that they have been taught. Exhortation can take, can take the form of rebuke, warning, or comfort. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, very simple. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul urges the church to follow his self-sacrificial example as he follows the example of Christ. He is urging, he is, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's urging, he's, he's giving an exhortation. Follow me as I follow Christ, as I, as I follow the example of Christ. The last component of preaching is to teach. Teaching is the heart and soul of the ministry because it is the only authority in life and truth. It involves a methodical explanation of God's word. It, create a, it creates a means of teaching people personally or in small groups. The point is that a good shepherd leader is to publicize sound teaching to all people at all times through all means. After all, it is one of the qualifications of an elder to be able to teach in 1 Timothy 3.2 and also in Titus 1.9. From its earliest years, the church has been committed to teaching God's word. And it is through the teachings of God's word that Timothy must be consistent with. He must be consistent with it. It's for that reason Paul wrote in verse 14, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy and with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. You know, some pastors come into ministry and they stay the course of action. Some pastors leave because they never belonged in the ministry. The do not neglect indicates Timothy could essentially be in danger of leaving the ministry. In fact, he may have already been feeling such temptation due to the point where church members made doing ministry very difficult because of his age. And not just his age, but also dealing with formidable false teachers in the church. Take a moment and pause. Let me read you Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Who's the you? The church. I just want to urge the church not to make 
pastors' lives more difficult than it is now. In verse 17, Paul points out that pastors keep watch over our souls and that they will have to give an account. Account to who? To God Almighty. They have to give an account over our souls to God himself. Will you and I be present when we see that? No, we will not. This will be a one-on-one moment. This will be if Pastor Steve, I'll use him as an example. It will be Pastor Steve and God. No one else will not be present. No one else will be able to vouch for him or, for, or to give a voice. It will be him between him and God. And it's the same for each and every pastor. And it's to remind you that Pastor Josh and Pastor Brian will not be, will not be with them. <laughs> and it will be the same for them as well. But that's a huge responsibility that they give an account for our souls. Notice that Paul urges the church to make the pastor's work filled with joy and not with grief. And that's very important. That is very important. No pastor should have to feel how young Timothy felt during his early years of ministry. The constant grumbling and complaining. The refusal to listen to their teachings because you feel that they have no value. Or perhaps they don't give you enough attention. Or they said something that offended you. What benefits the church when your pastor's lives are miserable? It is a tragedy and mockery when the very people a shepherd loves and serves decides to abuse him and resist his leadership. I've been in that position, and believe me, it's, it's not fun. See, there's a strong comparison when you look at Timothy, and people, and people are criticizing him because of his age. People will not listen to him. They say that he has no value. He brings no value to the church. He brings no value to the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, don't think that those words are not eroding in his heart. And then he begins to question his commitment. Why am I even here? Did God even really call me to this ministry? So in the same way, if we make our pastor's lives miserable, they're going to think the same way. And the temptation is going to be, I'm just going to walk out. I'm just going to leave. In fact, there's been many pastors who have left many churches because church members made their pastor's lives miserable. Now, going back to verse 14. Paul takes Timothy back to the clear prophecy concerning him and the gift that had bestowed on him as the basis for appealing to him to continue in the ministry of God's word. You know, let, me, let me pause. It just, just came to me. That Paul has to make an appeal to Timothy. He had to make an appeal to Timothy. Just think about that. He has to make an appeal to Timothy, a man that is called by God, a man that has been serving along Paul for X amount of years, and who has lived faithfully, who loves God with all of his heart. And he accepted this position because he believed, he absolutely believed with all of his heart, soul, and mind and strength that this is where God wants him to be. But now Paul has to appeal to him to continue that work. 
Our pastors should never question the calling that God has placed on their lives. Sorry, getting a little preachy there, but but it, it just I guess it's the Holy Spirit just wanted me to, to uh, speak on that. So there are three appeals to Timothy for not forsaking the ministry. The first is that he remind he reminded him of the spiritual gift within him. Now, spiritual gifts are given to all believers at the moment of salvation. It acts as a channel through which the Spirit of God ministers to others. In Timothy's case, he was gifted with evangelism, preaching, teaching, and leadership. So he's reminding him that, hey, God has gifted you in this area. That's my appeal to you, Timothy. The second appeal is that he reminds Timothy that his gift was granted through prophecy. Though there was prophecy in the case of Timothy, this was, this was not accompanied by, uh, this, sorry, this was accompanied by the laying of hands by the council of elders. That is, there were several, several elders present. Now that the New Testament is complete, we need not look for prophecies to impart, a, uh, to, part, to impart to us a particular calling. But we do need to seek recognitions from leaders of the local church before undertaking ministry. But Paul is making the appeal to Timothy, look, it was granted through prophecy. You know, in our day, God call, uh, God's call comes not through special revelation, but providence. If God wants a man in ministry, he will give him that motivation and God will open the door of opportunity for him. It, when I was preaching it, uh, when it comes to the qualifications of elders, and, and especially in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, to, to the aspiring uh, elders, that word, and, and, and I went deeper into that, 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 that word inspires that the Holy Spirit is the one that gives you that desire. He gives you that motivation to do the work, to do the will that God has called you to do. So, so, for example, if someone were to be an usher, I'm just using that as an example, they will not have the same motivation as the one who is called to be a pastor because the Holy Spirit did not place that gift or, or that, that, uh, that desire in that usher's heart. He will have no, he will have no desire to, to come up here to preach. But to the one who is called by God, and we see that upon Timothy's life, that desire, that motivation that the Holy Spirit has placed in his heart, it's in there. Once again, Paul is just trying to take that, that, that loss of courage and encourage him. Paul's final appeal is that Timothy's gift was confirmed through the laying of hands by the council of elders. A group of elders acknowledged that God had gifted him and called him to, the, to this work and laid hands on Timothy and entrusted him and entrusted his ministry, his ministry to the church. For Timothy to drop out of ministry would be a fly in the face of that, of that clear consensus. Just imagine, it's just like John... 
God has called you and, you know, and um, they lay hands on him. And, and all of a sudden, three days later, he's just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm not there. It goes against that, that clear consensus. It's just like, what? Now, after Paul's three appeals to Timothy, Paul urges him to remain faithful to his calling and let church members see him progress in his ministry, in his ministry. In verses 15 and 16, it says, practice these things, be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay attention to your life and your teaching, uh, uh, persevere in these things for for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know, when I was uh, present during uh, John's uh, pastor ordination, uh, Pastor uh, Josiah was present. And he asked a very powerful question to John. And I kind of paraphrasing. Um, but he, he simply just asked him this question. He's like, do you see yourself only doing this line of ministry? Do you only see yourself being a pastor? And that's a very powerful word. And what made that question so powerful is that the church needs a pastor who is a single-minded, who has a single-minded devotion to his calling. A single-minded devotion to his calling. It, he is not to be double-minded. He's not to be a double-minded man characterized by James. When you open up in James chapter 1, verse 8, it reads that being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. It's not just, yeah, I want to be pastor one day, and then the next day I just want to be a deacon. And then all of a sudden, I don't want to be a deacon anymore. I'd rather be an usher. Uh, I don't want to be an usher. I want to be back being a pastor. There is no devotion. There is no commitment to that to the particular, well, to the office of that of when it comes to eldership. The phrase, practice these things, is a command to give all your attention and care and study God's word. The church needs pastors absorbed in, in the word of God, and he is committed to the word. And the church needs to see that commitment, that devotion which is we see here in the second half of verse 15, so that your progress may be evident to all. All Here, Timothy must let church members see him progressing in the ministry. Timothy must allow members to see his progress in spiritual knowledge, in wisdom, and in maturity. The church needed to see Timothy how he handled difficult situations, how he strategizes, and also seeing him meditating on God's word. They needed to see Timothy preparing, planning, praying when it comes to the ministry. The church needed to see how dedicated Timothy was to his job, to to the ministry, to the gospel. You know, there's been pastors I have encountered that don't allow the church to see them progress. They just want to have the name only, but not do the work. They rather hide 
when moments matter most, like when it comes to preaching and teaching and exhortation, because they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be exposed to the fact that there are frauds. And here Paul is telling Timothy, but yet let me just say this, that God is calling all pastors that you got to let the church see your progress. They got to see you growing in maturity in Christ, in God. They want you to see your spiritual knowledge grow. Because if it is not growing, then what are you doing? Then you need to really question yourself Are you even really qualified for the position at all? The church needs to see your progress. They need to see these things. They want to know that I have have competent pastors on the pulpit who are preaching and teaching and living out the examples that Christ has set before us. Pastors. Pastors, aspiring pastors, let me just say this. You got to let your local church see your progress. If they don't know who you are or don't know you by name, then you have no business doing any type of ministry at all when it concerns an eldership. And I say this because the desire and the devotion is that I want people to see, see me shepherding. And it's not just to, for ego base or just to get people to say, look at me. It should come automatically. How you treat the people, how you, how you, how you uh, 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 counsel people. How, I, mean, are you, I mean, let me just use this for example. Fundamentals of the faith, where John teaches in there. He teaches, he's, teach, he's teaching in the youth. You see him come up to the pulpit and preach God's word. You see his, you see his progress. You see who he is. So there shouldn't be any, let let me just go back here because the spirit is talking. (laughs) I love my mentor. My mentor was a great man. Um, My mentor said that you, that the elders should never have to sell a pastor. They should never have to sell anybody to the church because the church is to already see it. It should already be evident. The thing is, it comes down to is it's like the church will, will fall in agreement if he's doing the things in which God has called him to do. Everyone will fall in agreement and say, yes, this man is called by God. But if you're nowhere to be found and all of a sudden it's just like, well, elder so-and-so is just like, well, I believe such and such person is called to be uh, a pastor, and all of a sudden they bring him up on stage, and all of a sudden they, they, they start talking about all of his qualifications and this and that because you're trying to sell that pastor to the church that he is, that he is uh, meant for the job. It should never be that way. It should never be that way. Now, Paul finishes the chapter by charging Timothy to pay close attention to himself and his teachings. Verse 16 reads that pay attention to your life and your teaching, persevere in these things, for in doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. In verse 16, Timothy is told to pay close attention to his life, um, meaning that his uh, moral conduct must be uh, must conform to that of the Christian standards. Verse 16 
There is always someone watching you. Especially when you claim yourself to be a believer, but much more if you're a pastor. Someone's always watching you. Let me uh, tell you a a personal uh, experience of mine. Uh, When I was up in New Jersey, I was uh, studying to be a software technician. And there's these tests I have to pass. I think I'm explaining. I think I shared it with you, but I'll share it again. Um, But anyways, um, there's a series of tests. And each series of tests, you have three chances to pass it. If you don't pass it, then you're out of the program. And so each series, like there, I think there was like five series of these tests. And each one, except for the last one, it always came down to strike two. It always came down to strike two. And I was just so frustrated because I would spend so many hours and spend so many time studying. And, and I'm just like, and, and I'm praying to God. I'm just like, God, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm doing everything that I can. You know, uh, I, I just don't understand why are you having me in this situation? And then, uh, then I was so happy when I passed the, the first time on my uh, fifth, fifth test and, uh, or the fifth series of the test. And then um, as everyone is so happy, all of us are getting ready to graduate and we're about to go to our, uh, our, our job locations. And I remember uh, in the classroom and uh, one, one guy came up to me and he said, uh, you know, I'm amazed. Um, I've been watching you and I, I've seen your frustration. I've, I've, I've seen it in your face. And, and that drawn me to you because every time that I saw you frustrated, you just prayed. You just, I just heard you just praying to God. And, and now I want to know God. <laughs> I, I think you put it in that. I, I know it's a little bit more different, so I'm paraphrasing. But you don't know who's watching you. And that's, that's the thing that always stuck with me. is just like, man, I, I didn't even realize it. So God had me go through all of that. Just for this guy to see me get frustrated, but yet I prayed, <laughs> get frustrated, and then I pray. But it meant something to that young man. Because what it told him is just like, God is real. That when I say that I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Christ, I believe it. And that I trust in God. And so in the same way, the pastor must do the same thing. Everything that he does, everything that he says, someone is always watching you. So do things in response that is going to glorify God. Pastors must scrutinize their behavior since, it, since they're examples for believers, too but also for that of the non-believers, especially when you're proclaiming the word of God. Next, Timothy is told to preserve in these things. Timothy must persist in the public reading of scriptures when it comes to exhortation and teaching, and in doing so, will save both yourself and your hearers. Because when you remain in God's word, he will preserve you. And just like the, the, the story I told about that young man and how I was always praying, 
And usually when I pray, I always pray, you know, reading a, a Bible verse. And believe me, I was in the Psalms. So. <laughs> but he, he took the time to hear that. Now, I don't know if this young man is saved or not. That's what I don't know. But I know that he was convicted by it. And he was pleased to see that someone actually believes. So with that said, pastors, aspiring pastors, let me read this passage because this passage is not only for Timothy here. It is for all pastors. Let me read this again, but I'm going to put it in the context of of pastors. Pastors, command and teach these things. And for those who are young in the faith, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, pastors, meaning until Christ comes, give your attention to public reading, exhortation and teachings. Pastors, do not neglect the gift that is in you. With the laying of the hands by the council of elders, it is the one that they they have called you into this ministry. Pastors, practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pastors, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. But it doesn't stop with the pastors. It continues to those who are God's children, for all of God's children, to the fathers, to the mothers, to the young men, to the young women. doesn't matter, young, old. These are the things you must commit yourself to do. Each and every day that we should be committed to this because that's what God expects expects of his children. Although that God has not called you to this office of, of, of pastors, of eldership, doesn't mean that you are to neglect this passage and to do the things that which Paul hath prescribed to Timothy. And remember that Timothy was commanded to do these things and he's commanding us to do those things as well. So whenever that Anybody's up here preaching the word of God. Listen. I know it's a lot of information, but let me just give you this. Just take one thing out of the sermon. If it's just for my sermon tonight, if it's just coming down to one of the examples that Paul has has given. Be, Be an example in speech. Take that. Ponder that throughout the week. Commit to it, and God will bless you for it. So I want to end with this. I just, for those who do not know Christ, let me talk about the good news. The good news of Christ Jesus. Here's what I understand of the good news to be. The good news is that the one and only God, 
who is holy and made us in his image to know him. But we sinned and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment of the sins of all who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead and showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us have been extinguished. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. That's the good news. But let me give you the bad news. When you don't accept Christ, then your sins will not be forgiven. And you will have to pay your sins, pay your sins off, which you will never will. That's why you will be in eternal punishment, facing God's wrath every second, every minute, every hour, day by day by day for all eternity. That's why Christ died on the cross. He bore all that for us so that you wouldn't have to endure that. So with that said, let's go to our Lord God in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your servant, Timothy, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that each pastor who hears this word, Lord, that they fulfill those three core elements, honor, courage, and commitment. And not just for the pastors, Lord, but for all of your children that we have instilled those core values, honor, courage, and commitment. Once again, in our homes, to our family members, to those or anyone that we may come in contact with, maybe just someone on the airplane. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your servant, Timothy, Lord, and and for us to give insight that not everything is, is pictured perfect when it comes to your kingdom. There's going to be issues. It's going to be things taking place because we live in a world of sin. Sin has not been eradicated yet, but we look forward to the day when it is. That we be clothed in your robes, in your righteousness, in your love, in your mercy, in your grace. We get to experience some of those things now, but I can't wait for eternity. And I just pray for those who do not know you, Lord, that Lord, I want them to be with us as well. I don't want them to perish and and for them to spend eternity facing your wrath. We thank you, Lord, for your love, for your mercy, and your grace, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. And I just thank you so much, Lord, that you carried me through this, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that, that I was a good servant with it. And I am thankful, Lord, that I have great pastors, Lord, who loves us, who cares for us, who shepherds us, who equips us. And I just want them to have a joy for the calling that you have called them in. And I don't want to make their lives miserable or to question their commitment to your calling in their lives. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in your son Jesus Christ's name and all the God's people say, 
Amen.